Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. And we are having bad days, both of us. <laughs> bad days, bad couple of days. Yeah. Things aren't, aren't great for us right now, but uh, one thing that I learned again today is the healing power of making this show. I I stepped up to the mic and I was like, I'm too cranky for this shit. <laughs> it's not going to work this time, but it works every time. Yeah, I always am in a better mood after a recording sesh than I was before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, might, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes getting drunk has the opposite effect, though. And this is a drunk episode. We did, we did land on a Quark's bar. It's true. The last time we rolled the dice... Terms of the corks bar are pretty clear. Uh, yeah. It's not a like drinking contest or like century club situation. It's like no. two guys at a bar, two guys at an open bar. Yeah, maybe I should say, uh, <laughs> just talking about an episode of Deep Space Nine. I think uh, I think you make a great point, and uh, it makes me want to break out in song. To be quite frank, <laughs> making pot about Star Trek today is sometimes less than great. The game of buttholes, Will of the Prophet, deals cruel twists of fate. (laughs) Wouldn't you like to drink some beer? (laughs) Sometimes you want to go where every Shimoda is drunk. (laughs) And your friend can take a dunk. (laughs) You want to have bad bit moments with friends who've done the same. And talk like Kern without feeling insane. You want to go where friends of DeSoto are more than just Adam and Ben. You want to do a drunk episode of Greatest Gen. <laughs> All right, I don't, I don't have a second verse written. <laughs> wow. That was great. <laughs> We didn't pre-plan that at all. That is amazing. <laughs> I will. I will tell you that the just peek behind the pod curtain. I wrote. I wrote that in between recording an episode of Greatest Discovery, which we just finished like ten minutes ago. And this. <laughs> that is fantastic. And I also wow. figured out a way to play a song that we could both hear. That was like magic. <laughs> shocked by that yeah aren't you an anti-karaoke is that a thing that that i know about you or am i confusing you with someone else um i i've done karaoke a few times i kind of feel weird about doing karaoke at a private karaoke context because i feel like it kind of goes against the the ethos of it but i also don't know enough songs well enough to do it in public so it's weird how like the private karaoke intimacy heightens the the risk i i much prefer an open karaoke bar to that yeah and i think that there are a lot of people who feel exactly the opposite yeah one thing that we have learned about ourselves since starting this project i would say even is that we're fans of being in front of a crowd you know oh yeah 
Huge fan of that. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, you're totally right. It's weird to contrast <laughs> reluctance to private karaoke and 50,000 downloads of a Greatest Gen episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how that squares, but yeah. uh, here we are. Is that the private room or is that the public room? I think we've interrogated this and it is the public room, right? Well, it, That's yeah, is. I don't want to compare myself to like Seinfeld. Like, I don't want to talk to one person. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's insane. I don't want to talk to one person, but I love talking to a room full of people or whatever. But uh, wasn't that an Al Gore thing, too? Isn't that like what, what his deal was? He was so bad. Uh, oh, yeah. In small groups, well, but great on big stages. A lot of people don't realize that they were roommates at Yale. What? No. <laughs> God, I was so ready to believe that. Al Gore was roommates with Tommy Lee Jones. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the idea of confusing Tommy Lee Jones with Jerry Seinfeld. Tommy Lee Jones has heard Al Gore crank it. Isn't oh, yeah. that amazing? Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones has uh, disregarded a gym sock, hung on the door, and walked in on Al and Tipper going at it. I don't know what to make of it. I was never caught cranking it in college. It seems like uh, a, a situation fraught with that kind of danger. Yeah. Were you in a dorm where it was just a like a door onto a hallway? Or Yeah. Okay. Because my dorms were always, it was always like there was a living room, a kitchen, and a bathroom. And then there were, there were two bedrooms, and each bedroom was two beds, you know? like I feel like the risk of getting caught cranking it is substantially reduced when you have a bedroom door that can be locked that doesn't lead to the hallway yeah anyways i've thought a lot about this (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i think one way to pivot in the episode is to give ourselves uh, the opportunity to describe what we're drinking Uh, in my case i am drinking the green room which is uh to you and me, just a great big tequila soda <laughs> in a in a giant frosty mug that I got out of my freezer. Oh wow, you do you do mug in the freezer? I do mug in the freezer. Do you, do you do you put beer in your freezer mugs? I almost never do that, but uh, but lately I have been using them more and more, and I don't I don't know what got into me. Because I think beer like serious beer people. Which, are, you know, I, I don't think you should live your life like a serious beer person. That's not what I'm I, saying. But serious beer people frown on the ice cold glassware because it, like there's like a precipitate that comes out of beer when it touches an ice cold surface and you get the, the little flakes in your beer. I have serious beer people in my life. Some of my best friends are serious beer people, <laughs> which is what allows me to say what I'm about to say. That is the the classic defense of somebody who is serious beer personist. I like to be refreshed from my beverages, and those people can fuck off with their beer temperatures. I would rather have mine cold. Thank hmm. you. Speaking of being refreshed, I'm drinking a Victory Brewery Summer Love Golden Ale. That sounds nice and porchy. Yeah, it's good. I really like the Victory family of products. Their uh, their Pilsner is one of my favorite uh, beers in the whole wide world. Love and, a Pilsner. Uh, I don't drink a ton of beer these days. Yeah, me neither. I've, I've really like drastically cut back on most alcohol and beer in particular. But uh, I figured for a Quarks bar. I would crack a couple of brew dogs with my buddy Adam. Do you want to get into the episode? 
Yeah, let's get into it. Kind of a serious one today as we talk about Deep Space Nine, Season 4, Episode 21, For the Cause. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Uh, we open in Captain Cisco's bedroom and the triangular pillows of his bed. Cisco is uh, having sleepovers with Cassidy Yates at this point in their relationship. Things have really progressed. You think he's putting a sock on his door? Because he's living with Jake, of course. Jake should move out. He should. Jake is old he? enough that he should have his own place in a moneyless society where the economic pressure of that is not stupendous i feel like that episode is coming it has to be coming yeah yeah but there never seems to be any of that tension in their roommate relationship right yeah jake is not like a slob he's not he doesn't have annoying teenager habits yeah he is very slightly rebellious in that he doesn't want the career his dad always imagined he would have, but he's not like, fuck, dad, ugh. <laughs> you know, like, he's not the impetuous teen. No, and he's not running the station out of hot water with his shower jacking either. I know. You know. He's a little bit asexual as a teenager, which is, I mean, some people are, but uh, but I'm- weird for a show in, like, the mid-90s to make a teenager such a great roommate, which he really is. Yeah, weirdly asexual for somebody who goes on as many Dabo Girl dates as he does. Right. Ben, does Cassidy use a device to change her clothes and style her hair? Because there's a little bit of a magic trick in the scene. Yeah. Where she gets up from bed wearing one thing, and then she leans in for a kiss wearing something else. Yeah, she uh, she has that uh, that Chanel eye box that, uh, that Lilu uses in The Fifth Element. I like this bit of magic. It's not even referred to as a thing. It's so subtle that you might not even notice that it's happened. There's no sound effect to it. Yeah. She just she just steps out and steps back in. Maybe too subtle for its own good. Cisco really likes the way this lady smells because the second she's out of the room, he chucks his own triangle for hers. He gets under the sheets and smells the spot. I am a Starfleet officer. Pervy Cisco. Jeez. Get in there and root around, man. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we cut to the wardroom, and it's Eddington leading a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Which uh, seems a little unique and fun. Unique and fun, not just in that, but also in that he is delivering a McLaughlin group about highly sensitive Starfleet information. Right. Two people like Worf and Dax and Kira, like, bangers are in this room. Yeah, this is your, your senior staff, and Eddington, who... I guess as a lieutenant commander, is privy to some some pretty highly classified shit that the rest of the gang needs to be briefed on. Yeah, which is also weird, right? Like, why is he the only one who knows this stuff? Why all the secrecy? I don't know. I mean, like, the episode where he betrayed Cisco, he was doing it on behalf of some Starfleet admiral, right? Yeah. So, presumably, he's got communications channels with Starfleet security, but you would think that, like, Worf would also have those. Maybe Worf turns off his comm badge when he goes to sleep in the Little D. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cell, cell reception is terrible out there. 
So let's see if we can recap this meeting. Eddington's in there saying that there's a shipment of industrial replicators that the Federation is secretly sending to the Cardassian civilian government. And ordinarily, this wouldn't be a big deal, but they need to keep this on the down low because if the Maquis find out about it, they're going to want to intercept them, take them, or destroy them. They're not going to want to allow this to happen. And there's this demilitarized zone that separates the Federation from the Cardassians, and it's right next to the Badlands, and it's just a whole confluence of of complexity yeah. here. Well, and the DMZ is is the is the disputed territory where the Maquis are so cranky about where the lines got drawn in the peace treaty. And if you'll recall, like the, the Maquis' whole deal is to disrupt the relationship between the Federation and the Cardassians because they are the aggrieved party. Yeah. They've been the ones many times who've been asked to leave their planet for the sake of a treaty. This is the whole Cal Hudson thing. Right. And the case that Eddington is making is that the fact that the Cardassians are so busy defending themselves from the Klingons all the time leaves them fairly vulnerable to the Maquis. Like the Maquis are actually a not insubstantial threat to the Cardassians now that they have to fight a conventional war in addition to the insurgent war. Cisco does the math on the situation. He's like, transport ships, the little d? Why, I think I'll assign Worf to this mission. <laughs> and so he does. He puts Worf right back on the little d and sends them out. Aye, sir. What are you doing? You know, Adam, there is a case to be made, though, that Worf is the is the best person for this job now because he's, he's, he's had a pretty major fuck up. He's feeling the heat from that. He's like the least likely person to to shoot a 737 out of the sky full of civilians. Quark asks him later, like, what would happen if uh, if he had to shoot the shipment of replicators? Worf's like, I, I hope I get to. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> I mean, I learned a valuable lesson a couple of episodes ago, and uh, I will definitely not shoot a transport ship. <laughs> That's the briefing, and uh, everybody clears out, but uh, Odo and Eddington stick around. Uh, they've got something fairly sensitive that they wanted to talk to Cisco about, and that is this. They have developed some fairly compelling circumstantial evidence that Cassidy Yates may be selling shit to the Maquis. Captain Cisco is rightly incredulous about this and wants proof immediately but there isn't really much of it these are suspicions this is not an accusation and that is a parsing of words that that they actually do in this scene right they don't bring a uh, an octopip admiral in and uh interrogate it fully but the suspicion is there and um one thing that is discussed is like maybe we should step up our surveillance of her and really, like, go into her shit. And he says, like... You can't just invade her privacy based on your suspicions. And Eddington says something outrageous in this moment. He says... If she's really a Marquis, then she's no longer a Federation citizen. Yeah. That is not how due process works. It's not, but it sounds contemporaneous to... Extraordinary extraordinary rendition. rendition. Yeah. Except for this predates that, you know? as As, like, a thing that... People were talking about politically, like it's a pretty terrifying idea, right? That the the second your loyalty is deemed to have flagged an iota, you've foregone 
all of the like rights and responsibilities of citizenship. Pretty interesting concept that uh, Eddington's alluding to here. Especially for him. Yeah, it's interesting that it comes from his mouth. And right, I think that it does. I wonder what to make of it. Like, is that actually true? Or there are like people in Federation security who have leave unilaterally to determine that somebody has forsaken their citizenship? If so, that's fucking terrifying. <laughs> and the Federation is not the utopia we've been led to believe it is. Cisco is nervous in this scene for another reason, and that's because uh, the Joja Why am I here? is purported to have been in contact with the Mayquis, and Cisco's cargo has been in that ship. Yeah. <laughs> He kind of uh, itches himself uncomfortably with that knowledge <laughs> that that ship has been around. Ooh, I hope they're packing a vest for the Josha. Uh, Odo presents a plan to sort of step up surveillance, but uh, Cisco kind of dismisses this out of hand. And then, like right before Odo and Eddington leave, he sort of obliquely recommends a search of her ship under the cover of some sort of other thing right and uh, Odo's like I, I wish I could but one of my best transportation investigators is no longer on the station so we got a sporting event on the station Adam yeah this is uh this has happened once or twice before it's it's definitely like an established fact that people spectate racquetball but it seems like now they are spectating live in person it's not on closed circuit TV from Quark's bar anymore. Kira kicks the ass of whoever she's playing in spring ball, and I want to know who she's playing. I know. You never know. It really seemed like that person was going to take their helmet off and we were yeah. going to get like a big hilarious reveal. Yes! Well it's Guinan. <laughs> we know that Guinan would have won if, if it had been Guinan. Yeah. Really weird. Uh, this is a scene that's all about Garrick and Zial. Zial, who looks a little different now because she's played by someone else, and uh, and they're sharing glances, which could be seen to imply either an attraction or a suspicion between them. I wondered why Zial got recast. I thought that the lady uh, in that part was great. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, not that Newsyall isn't, but this episode is in close proximity to the other one. It's weird to do a recast like four episodes apart or whatever. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree that this uh, this performance is is also good, and and the loaf does a lot of this, but she does look a lot like the other lady. I want to say yeah. uh, there is no like satisfying conclusion to this scene it's Bashir telling Garrick to take it easy on Zial right and and to pay more attention to the game the case is made that Garrick is is quite curious about Zial's presence on the station and that uh, is potentially hazardous to him because if it's not Gul Dukat that would kick his ass it's Kira yeah why would you want the trouble <laughs> she doesn't seem worth it I wouldn't play around with her if I were you I kind of feel like they should make a Deep Space Nine cookbook ben of all of ben cisco's abominations <laughs> because the next scene everything is just cut up carrots badly so what he's making is a stew on top of spinach linguine that looks like the inside of a diaper and what he's putting on top as a garnish is cubed carrots raw or maybe butternut squash not a thing that would be good 
There's like a fun bit of dialogue here between Cassidy and Cisco, where Ben Cisco's like, "Yeah, uh, I'm making this monstrosity," and I think is it Cassidy or is it uh, is it Jake? One of them's like, "Yeah, like your neighbors love smelling your cooking down the hall," and <laughs> I mean, I know we've both lived in apartment buildings where you could smell someone else's cooking. That never smells good. Yeah, I don't think. No, nobody's cooking smells good through a door. Yeah. It's funny, right? Because like you walk into somebody's house that's cooking and, and it's always exciting, you know? Yeah. But if, it doesn't if, work. If you smell it f- through a door, somehow somehow doors filter out whatever is pleasurable about smelling cooking. The doors change everything. Who understands that? I don't know. Cisco is not slick in this scene because he keeps kind of trying to pussyfoot around what she might be doing on her next run. She is a a, a trucker, essentially. <laughs> He's like, so uh, you're uh, head, heading through Montana on that next run. Any chance you're going to be in Billings-ish? What route do you take to the Drayon system? I think if there's one thing we know about Ben Sisko is that subtlety is not his strong suit. Don't you make a regular cargo run to a neighboring system? Yeah. At any level. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Right. Like, how did he ever get with Cassidy Yates to begin with? It's funny because I think that Avery Brooks actually does have a great command of subtlety in some of... Uh, you know, some of the choices he makes in performing this character, but the character has no subtlety. Right. Which is really funny. I wonder how frustrating that is for an actor to be capable of something like that and to play a character who isn't. I don't know. I kind of get the feeling it's a choice, though. Yeah. We cut to a very brief turbo lift scene where uh, Garrick runs into into Zial and that meet-cute happens where... Everyone else but them gets off of a turbo lift. Yeah. And they flirt and joke about their mutual need not to fear each other. Which yeah. is how Cardassians flirt, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, I mean, the the upshot is them assuring each other that neither has anything to fear from knowing each other. And, and that's uh, like a, a pretty dangerous footing to start any kind of relationship on, even if it's just friendship. It would have been too ham and cheese to have just put Morn on the turbo lift and then he gets off <laughs> having just crop dusted it. <laughs> Do you think Morn rips rips particular ass? Oh man, with how much he drinks? Yeah, yes. He probably farts pretty badly. I, I feel like he's got to be a gassy guy. But like before, there is no strong resolution to this relationship they sort of agree not to fear each other and then they go their separate ways we've learned a lot about the intentions with which andrew robinson was playing garrick recently right that garrick is sort of coded as not straight they never come out and say it in the series but i wonder how this reads from a like a queer viewing uh, of of the show because I n- never get the sense that Garrick is interested in a romantic relationship with Zial, but I'm watching it from an un- unsophisticated like cis straight white guy standpoint because I think Bashir, at least in the writing, is definitely concerned that Garrick wants to bang Zial. 
The way I saw it was that any romance derived from them looking at each other was on the part of Zial in her receiving of the male gaze and not Garrick in his giving of that, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like she's taking it in what could be interpreted as a romantic fashion, but it's not being transmitted that way. But I don't think we're we're retconning that based on what we know from what Andrew Robinson has said about right. this character. Like, I... I I feel like it's in the show. Yeah, I mean, he might actually be attracted to her. I, I just don't, I don't know, yeah. I don't know what to make of it. And yeah. I, and I wondered if he's gay, then this whole scene reads as as much funnier in some ways because, like, you know, it's it's a it's a friendship flirt, but maybe being misinterpreted by everybody but yeah. them as as that as, as as something more than that. Also, like, attraction can be not romantic. Like, right. Uh, I, for a while, I worked in an office building where I was one of, like, six people my age. Like, everyone else was in, like, their 40s and 50s, and then, like, half a dozen of us were in our 20s. Yeah. And, like, you are attracted to being around people that that are of similar ages or backgrounds. And I feel like if you're one of two... Cardassians on the station there's going to be an attraction there and it, it right. may not be romantic but like they want to know each other yeah and that is that seems to be the implication regardless of whether or not anything's loaded uh, romantically here yeah for sure well down in the docking ring uh the Joja is being held up for six hours by station security I'm really tired of being insulted. Who are claiming that they need to do a level two inspection of Cassidy Yates' cargo because of a virus that has broken out on Bajor. And uh, she is complaining to Odo that uh, that's going to really fuck their, their schedule up. They're trying to make a connecting flight in Minneapolis, and they're, they're not going to catch it if they leave six hours from now. This Temeculan virus that they're scanning for, Ben, you can pick it up in... Uh in a place like an antique store or a, or an old town district. Uh-huh. Before you know it, you're just going to take that back to Murrieta. <laughs> I, I have no idea what you did there. <laughs> Talking about Temecula, the city in Southern California, Ben. Temecula Canyon? It's known for the surrounding Temecula Valley wine country. Uh-huh. With its hillside vineyards and many golf courses. Okay. <laughs> I'm just shouting out my my listeners in uh, Temecula, Ben. Yeah, oh yeah. What up Temecula? Temecula <laughs> in the house. Look out for our greatest gen tour hitting Old Town Temecula. <laughs> and the Holiday Inn Express there. Yeah, yeah. The booking agent dropped us shortly after we announced our intention to to do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now we're booking ourselves. It's nothing but Victorville and Temecula all the way down. Uh, we are not good at business. <laughs> uh, Cassidy is so pissed at at the idea of being detained here that she actually goes to Captain Cisco on a FaceTime yeah. and asks to be let out of it. And this is such an interesting scene, Ben, because I completely understand why she would do it, but she does it basically in front of Odo and the security team. Right. Like, they should be insulted by this, this whole, like, if mom says no, ask dad thing that she does. (laughs) But you never get that part of the conflict. I wonder about this. Like, my wife works for an influential politician, and I always wonder, like, if she got pulled over, could she... 
Could yeah. she drop that and like get the cop to let her go? You know, for, you know, she got pulled over for speeding and and said the right thing. Would it make a difference? But she's the kind of person that would never, ever, ever in a zillion years do that in that context. It's just not how she rolls. Hmm. But uh, but Cassidy definitely like is you know still making eye contact with Odo while she's on Facetime with Cisco, going Ben, please. I respect that motivation from her, but like neither is there a bit of conflict on her end in her background, nor is there one from Ben Cisco going ah. Cassidy, you're really putting me into a pickle here. Right. You're really breaking my balls here. I gotta I gotta write reports about this to my superiors and explain why this one ship got released from this regulation. And this is an area where subtlety I don't think serves the moment because I because if that exists here, it's so subtle as to not even be felt. Right. So she gets to go, but Yeah, the- he makes it happen. Yeah, but the little D is uh, is on her tail and cloaked. Yeah, it is Alpha Quadrant cloaked to sneak after the captain's girlfriend. I love the context clue of this sequence, Ben, because we never see like blurry exterior little D. Instead, we see all of the stations in that cloaked blue. Yeah, and this is something we've been taught as viewers uh, for the last couple seasons. Yeah, the uh, the lighting on the on the bridge changes when they're when they're under cloak. Cisco changes his soup from a, a hot soup to a gazpacho. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, suddenly is uh he's having a Vichy soise soup. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to work the microwaves while you're, while you're under cloak, man. That'll oh, give yeah. you position away. Let off all kinds of yeah. emissions that are detectable. Little D's orders are to follow the Joja and only take pictures. Ew. Seriously? Ben, and this is one of the the most fun missions I think in in movies or television. Yeah, O'Brien is doing a thing on the bridge of talking about controversial politics with his coworkers. <laughs> That's why he doesn't get invited to dinner parties. Yes, outside of his decision not to attend dinner parties. No kidding. Like, and also just like lipping off to Worf. They should be hunted down and destroyed. What for? Defending their homes. He's, uh, he's talking about the Maquis, and Worf is like, I would never become a terrorist, even in the context in which the Maquis became terrorists. And O'Brien's like, well, I wouldn't tell that to Major Kira. Come on, man. That's your boss. He's yeah. a lieutenant commander. You're, you're a fucking enlisted man. Like, you can't do that. Eddington is great in this scene because he knows not to talk about these matters yeah. uh, while at work. And I like that they resisted the temptation to, like, put the camera in Eddington's face and show him... Right grimacing as they as they talked about it it's in keeping with his character like he's the try hard annoying guy like yeah. and that and it doesn't tip you off but they also like let you forget that he's there a little bit like it seems yeah. like it's just gonna be an o'brien wharf scene yeah and then o'brien turns and it's kind of like almost a reveal that eddington is also sitting on the bridge the real revelation of this scene is that a maquis raider pulls up to cassidy's ship and receives its cargo yeah it's, so uh, the suspicion has been confirmed. At this point, no matter what happens in the episode, we know that Cassidy is working with the Maquis in some capacity. I didn't want to believe it, Ben, but, I mean, here it is. What are you doing now? Oh! 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 Oh!
it's such a brutal truth that like even after this like for the rest of the episode i was trying to do the rubik's cube of like how are they gonna get the blood off of cassidy's hands yeah like oh like that's the kind of ship that the makewees use but it's not it wasn't a makewees it was somebody else or she was deceived into doing that she didn't know what she was transporting or to whom it wasn't me it was the one-armed man you know something like that like if if it was that if it was she didn't know it makes her look like an idiot and a and a rube yep which is you can't have that either that would dishonor that character you know she's not an idiot no. But I was trying to make her an idiot because I didn't want to believe. And I think that that's like a very powerful, like a really sophisticated and cool storytelling idea. I think the B story here struggles to rise to the tension of the A story because back at Garrick's, Zial has visited his tailor shop and she invited him for a Cardassian Schwitz. Yeah. Because she has the honey stick of a Cardassian sauna hollow sweep program, and she doesn't want to go alone. Yeah, she got the, the Burke Williams honey stick. And I guess the uh, like the Cardassians are always a little bit chilly around everybody else. Mm-hmm. Their, uh, their desired temperature is quite a bit higher than that of other humanoids. So their, their sauna program would be like lethal to anybody but a Cardassian. Yeah. But it sounds like a date, right? Like, sauna is a pretty sexy first date. I was wondering if you might be interested in trying it out with me. Yeah. It's either sexy or gross, right? Yeah, if it's not nude, then it's actually a lot more gross because I can't believe that that what they're wearing is going to be very breathable. It made me wonder, like, does Garrick have, like, uh, electric blankets sewn into his clothes? Oh, interesting take. Because it would be really fun if Garrick was always wearing like a parka, you know? It'd be weird if, if all Cardassians had sort of like a, a spit valve uh, yeah. at the bottom of their clothes. <laughs> Let all the sweat out. Gross. You never see Garrick sweat, though. No. Maybe they don't sweat. He is uh, He is real stunned when she drops this invitation off, though. Yeah. Might be the only time we've seen him really off his off his guard in a in a major way. He takes her up on it though. Yeah. No reason not to. That's Gull Ducat's daughter. Jake and his dad are breakfasting the next day and Jake is ordering some some weird garbage out of the replicator and Cisco's like, What the fuck are you eating? Jake is like, Oh, this is a great breakfast that Cassidy told me about. Have you heard of Mentos and Diet Coke? It's my new breakfast. <laughs> you know how Cassidy makes a foamy white substance come out of you? Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> she also makes it come out of my breakfast. Gross. <laughs> this breakfast irritates Captain Cisco. What happened to juice and oatmeal? The very idea of it is disgusting to him. There's a lot of uh, classified information at play here that he cannot divulge to Jake. Instead, he gets a weird dad, which is almost worse, right? Yeah. Like, if he were to just tell Jake the truth, it would be less weird than, Jake, I want you to have all my things if something bad were to happen to me. (laughs) 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 The weird handshake, like the lingering hug. Yeah. Jake is like, Dad, are you drunk? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm sorry about breakfast, Dad. (laughs) 
What's with this I love you man routine? I'll go back to oatmeal and orange juice if you'll just be normal with me again. We we don't need to become blood brothers. You're my dad. Yeah, weird. Jake's like, this would be a bad time to ask for my own apartment. <laughs> dad seeming very clingy right now. <laughs> and you know when you you know shit is bad when when you're accusing Ben Cisco of being clingy because that level of clinginess is bonkers. Yeah. At the McLaughlin group. Issue two. They are talking about what to do about this Cassidy Yates issue. And it looks like what she was transporting to them was either medical supplies or food. As we've seen from Jake's breakfast, food can be weaponized. Yeah. You never know what kind of foam is going to be deployed by the Mayquees yeah. later. Right. But it's still a really bad look. And Ben is uh, very pissed off. Dax wants to stop and talk it out with him and uh he's even a dick to her dismissed old man where's kira it feels like it's odd that she's been sidelined from all this it's a episode where i wanted cisco and dax to talk more Mm -hmm. and it's an episode where i wanted kira's perspective more and i think that it's an episode that's aware that it's missing those two things yeah you know like the don't tell Kira about your opinions about terrorists wharf scene right telegraphs the Kira element and the dismissed old man with with Cisco telegraphs the the Dax thing like I I did miss the special relationship between Kira and Cisco though where they tend to talk about hard shit yeah and that she's never being confided in it would have been interesting to me there's just no time there's just no time. It's a single it's a single episode arc. Yeah. Cisco sees the evidence and he is totally crushed. Like that's the big takeaway here is that like it's incontrovertible. It's real and it's bad. It's real and it's bad and he has to kind of keep on a a smiling face because Cassidy is back at the station and she comes to see him. You know, she's got another cargo run to make that night but uh she wants to hang out for a minute in between cargo runs and and he can't divulge to her what he knows i think this is my favorite scene of the episode because it's pregnant with that breakup energy like where one person is acting like everything's normal and the other person is so clearly not down and yeah like like it felt like a breakup was on the table here in this scene and and it doesn't happen but that's such a real thing right like one one person has checked out already but hasn't mustered the courage to say it yet it was really well done and and they don't ham up cisco's performance here either like he is as subtle as he can get and you can tell, like, she lies to Cisco's face. Like, she lies to him five or six times in a row about where she's been and what she's going to do, and she's specific about it. Yeah. And, like, that specificity makes it so ugly. They've got some kind of viral infection on one of their colonies. In fact, I can't stay long. I'm supposed to make a run tonight. It's specificity that betrays a certain amount of guile, right? It's breakup energy, but it's also affair energy, right? Yeah. Like, she has a very a very specific cover story. Yeah. Jake comes in with a honey stick of his own, and this is a uh, fantasy baseball game between different eras of Yankees and Red Sox. And uh, Ben declines to, to go on this third-wheel date, so I guess Cassidy and Jake just go on the date together. <laughs> 
baseball games are long. Like, they just go and watch a baseball game for three hours? Yeah. Okay. They can zip by if you get enough $18 beers. Yeah. So, <laughs> you can't get smashed on uh, hollow sweet beers, though. How much does a baseball game beer cost in Seattle? I want to say, like, $10. It would be, no, like, shit. would be, like, the middle. I think you can get a beer at a Mariner game for $8, and I think you can get a beer for $12. Like, I think there's there's room to play in the middle of those. I think the cheapest beer at Dodger Stadium is eight is $16. Oof. That's why you bring your, your works in. Save, <laughs> save the beer money and just bring in your spoon. I just jazz gum before the game, you know? God, that's just a nice day outside. The help of a little jazz gum. Yeah. Jazz gum, father-in-law, Dodger dog. Panama. Yeah, so with them sidelined, it's really like the Eddington Cisco Little D show. I had a problem with this uh, Eddington Cisco scene because the default commander of the Defiant, as far as show canon is concerned, is Worf. Yep. And they have this conversation like, Ed- Eddington is like, well, if I'm here looking after these replicators that are coming through on this big shipment, who is going to command the Defiant? And Cisco's like, I guess I have to do it. I mean, in retrospect, if Eddington isn't able to make the case for the crew complement being split the way that it's decided, I think his plan sort of fizzles. Yeah, the idea that Worf and Cisco both need to be on the little D, he needs that to be ironclad. But what is so persuasive from Eddington is that he makes the case that he doesn't want to have to make a battlefield decision that is related in any way to a Cassidy Yates. And he's right. But also he's wrong, because the one person who is worse for that situation (laughs) is probably Ben Cisco, right? Yeah. And... You know what? I'm going to put a hat on top of that hat. The one person who is worst of all is Worf, who has That's a, what I that's where I thought you were going. Who to has be a, honest. who has a history of shooting transport ships when they shouldn't be shot. Yeah. So Cassidy Yates is in mortal danger. Yeah. She's in mortal danger and I think maybe suspects it. Yeah, because of this airlock scene, right? Yeah, he he walks down and says like, "Hey, why don't the two of us just get away from everything?" Run off to Ryze. We won't even pack a bag. We'll walk straight out of here, get in a runabout, and go. Your crew's good. My crew's good. They can they can handle things without us. And she's like, I know that what we're about to do is super dangerous, but it's not runabout to Ryze dangerous. So, no. To borrow a bit of Tamarian language here, Ben, this is really a scene of Pacino and De Niro at the diner in Heat. Yeah. Cassidy knowing... Like, she's been made, mm-hmm. and Cisco can't do anything about it yet. The Temerians really love that movie, and really like all of Michael Mann's work, even some of the more uneven later stuff, you know? Did you also see it as Cassidy knowing? Yeah, I think that's in there. Like, I think her character is really savvy, you know? Yeah. She'd have to be to be caught up in as the go-between here. Right. I think that the thing that happens in this story is that Cisco and Cassidy are both so invested in their belief systems and in their love for each other that they kind of are blind to the world happening around them. Mm-hmm. Because the little D follows 
the Joja into the Badlands. Stop chasing me! And it is Odo that puts it together. Yeah. This doesn't make any fucking sense because the Joja is just like in a holding pattern hanging out for hours and hours waiting for their contact. And he's like, this is not the slick dead drop terrorist shit that we have come to know the Maquis for. Think about it. If anyone but Cassidy Yates was on the Zosa, would you be commanding this mission yourself? This is a good Odo scene in a good Odo episode. In a season that I feel like has done a lot of work in disputing how good Odo is at his job. Yeah. Like it's, it's good to be reminded that like he has a job and he's good at it, and this scene is an example of that. One main cast character that does not fit into the Eddington plan of getting them all on the on the little D is Kira. She's got a couple of more story beats back aboard the station. One is slamming Garrick up against a wall. If you do anything to hurt her, I will make you regret it. Is that clear? If he tries anything funny with Zial. And the other is her getting shot by Eddington. <laughs> because he needs to take over and not have her interfering with his evil plan this scene is shot in such a way that like there's something baked into the compositional dna of it where you know someone is going to be shot here did you get that yeah it's like old west town empty street somehow yeah i agree he phasers kira and then he turns and phasers a pot of mashed potatoes (laughs) leaving just the whisk and the and the potatoes and he walks out of the room and locks the door he explains to the Starfleet security yellow shirts that uh, there's a little bit of a change of plan with the with the replicators. They're going to load them up onto a Vulcan ship. And we actually get to see this Vulcan ship like plugged into the station. Mm-hmm. And boy, it just looks like a heap of laundry. Like it is, <laughs> it is such an indistinct ship. It's built for utility and not style. Yeah, that is all happening while they're putting it together on the little D out in the Badlands. Like, they they beam over to the Joja. You are tortured by self-doubt and fear. And Cisco is accusing Cassidy of having drawn them out to expose the station to an attack, which is a much worse thing to suspect her of having done than what she actually has done. Right. This is just a sad scene, like Cassidy yeah. playing dumb and then being turned, like, not great. And I think that, like, maybe a little bit undercuts some of the work the episode does in not compromising her intelligence. Agreed. And and I think that that would be, like, fairly inexcusable, except for Cisco is also kind of compromised. And I think it is in that way of two people who are in a relationship. Like, sometimes in a fit of anxiety or whatever we can convince ourselves that our most beloved people are are doing something bad against us, right? Yeah. Like that's a that's a real thing that happens in relationships and the idea that Cisco goes to the worst possible thing for Cassidy to have done is right. is very realistic, I think. Yeah. What it, what she's actually done is kind of fall for a big plan that Eddington put into place. Like she is sympathetic to the Maquis cause and has been used as a pawn by Eddington to draw Cisco away from the station so Eddington can hijack these industrial replicators and uh, disappear into the wind. If you make her any more intentional, you remove the idea of her being a patsy. Right. 
and it's the the only thing that makes her forgivable is is that she's being manipulated, right? Right. Like she's irredeemable if she presents as any more motivated than than right. she is. Yeah, because if she's plotting on an, a level any higher than that, she's a villain. Yeah. So the little D needs to get back to Deep Space Nine. Uh, on the double and it's a little bit creepy because they're hailing and there's no response and that's because concurrently Eddington has been briefing Starfleet security about the loading of these replicators and then telling everyone not to communicate with anyone outside the station or even in the station it's like a a radio blackout happening he played chess when they thought they were playing checkers and uh, they get back and uh, the deed has been done they're uh, they they're talking about it in ops. Uh, the major has recovered from her phaser blast, and you know Cisco's feeling like a real dope, like he got his pants pulled down uh, when a FaceTime comes through from Eddington, and Cisco goes and takes that call in private, and it is a pretty intense like villain gloat. The only reason I've contacted you is to ask you to leave us alone. I really really like this scene and i really really like the message i also really like how it's composed ben because eddington might as well be looking at the viewer here when he indicts starfleet and paints it in a light that maybe a star trek viewer hasn't seen it before Mm -hmm. not to both sides it too much (laughs) what are you roderick but I but I get it. And Cisco does not. He is totally closed off to to what Eddington is saying here. He does not see that side of the argument at all. And uh, I thought that was just a fascinating difference between the two. Ben Cisco does not have an open mind when it comes to the portrayal of the Federation. He doesn't, but also Eddington is a zealot, you know? Like the way Eddington is talking about this, he's slavering. He's he's so fucking ripshit pissed with the Federation. Yeah, and he says that the Federation are as bad as the Borg. Like, talk if we're gonna both sides, like that's yeah, that's as both sidesy as it gets. Yeah, and that just isn't true. You know, the Federation made a treaty that didn't work for some people, but. Generally speaking, the Federation is about providing the most freedom possible for the most people it can. And that's why they're trying to get the Cardassians onto a peaceful footing with them. Like they're they want they want everybody to be in the Federation eventually. It's interesting that Cal Hudson had a very similar argument and also just totally bounced off of Ben Sisko's com badge you know like yeah ben cisco is bulletproof to this argument and it doesn't matter who is presenting it it could be one of his best friends or it could be someone he doesn't really like like eddington yeah like you cannot see o'brien giving voice to the shit he gives voice to in this episode in ben cisco's presence right yeah because o'brien knows that that would be his ass look i just found eddington very persuasive here and it doesn't mean that i necessarily agree with everything that he said But, like, the math equals no remainders here. I found his argument compelling, and it made some sense to someone in his position. The button on the B story is the 
sauna hang with Ziel and Garrick. And it is a wear your normal walking around clothes into the hot room. Yeah. If the producers did not give the costume department budget to develop a a, a Cardassian sauna garb, then that sucks. But if the costume department just neglected to see this as an opportunity to develop that, that sucks. I want to know what the uh, what the Cardassian uh, bathrobe looks like. Just give us a bathrobe. It could just be a terry cloth bathrobe. They give Quark a brand new tunic that's made of grandma's wallpaper, like <laughs> which is like his sixth one of the season, and they. And they can't like go to Costco and get a terry cloth bathrobe for a couple of actors. I think you got to put them in some robes, yeah. man. Yeah. It turns out that Zial's intentions intentions for this were extremely innocent and non-datey. You know. Yeah. She was not inviting him on a date. She was inviting him on a like let's get together as two people with some some similar background and like I want to I want to get to know the the planet that I can't live on and that you can't live on. Like we were both in a lot of ways isolated from our people. And, uh, and maybe we can be friends about that. I mean, uh, I wonder if what we're getting here is a, uh, is a Bashir and Garrick breakfast. Like, is this going to be done on the regular? Who knows? Yeah. Garrick definitely had all the status in the Bashir and Garrick breakfast in the, in the opening volleys of that. Yeah. And in this is, he comes to this terrified, right? He comes strapped. He has to like put the gun down to enjoy the hang. You know, I don't want to go back too far, but I wonder if why they're not in robes is because there's a context to that that could skew too far into the romantic area. Like, like by being close to naked, is that not even a thing that you want to allow into a viewer's mind? Like because yeah. she's significantly younger than he is, for one, yeah. and two, if if a romantic entanglement is not something that you want even hinted at, like you can you can make that case through clothing. Yeah, and it's also just really hard to hide a gun in a in a bathroom. Indeed, <laughs> gotta grease that thing up. Well, the button on the episode, Ben, is uh, is pretty dark, and that's at the airlock. Cassidy Yates has come back alone on her cargo ship. Uh, she's left her crew with the Maquis, and she chooses to come back, she says, because of their relationship. Because she still loves him, she has returned. But if you're only watching this scene and not listening to the dialogue, I would I would find this credible, but she comes back to go to jail. Yeah. I don't understand the logic here. Like, what relationship is she preserving by doing this? I think I think you could make her a very interesting character by making her an outlaw on the run every once in a while, sending FaceTimes to Cisco the way that Eddington did earlier. Why not preserve that tension? Here's the thing, man. Jail is not prison. Like, the, there is a little bit of a case to be made that she was deceived. Yeah. And... She did do some stuff that I think is bad, but it's, you know, she says... I'll be back. I, I don't think that uh, her as an interesting person to introduce to a storyline is over by any means. You know what's crazy is that her defense lawyer is Ron Canada. <laughs> when she ends up going to trial. So interesting choice to, to bring Chapak back. Yeah, cool. 
You really want to do this? Here. Now, okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah, I think there was a lot to like here. I Did I, you notice that the uh security guy that she gets uh taken into custody by is named Lieutenant Reese? I did, and it's the same guy that Eddington throws the keys to the station to earlier. He had a big episode. Do you think that that guy is like the son or grandson of Lieutenant Reese from Star Trek Discovery? I mean, I think we know that the writer's room of Discovery are great big fans of DS9. They, they, they've mined it for a lot of trivial information, so maybe. Could see I just that. like that idea a lot. I'm here for it. I like the episode's interest in like presenting a challenge of dating someone whose political beliefs are different than yours. Mm-hmm. And I like the parallel suspicions of a Cisco and Yates and of a Garrick and Zial. There are two great big bangers dropped at the end of this episode, the Eddington thing and the Cassidy Yates thing. It feels like uh, it's a lot of Star Trek in a little Star Trek bag. And I... I think I tend to like the episodes that, that really swing for the fences the way this one does. A lot happens here, and I and I liked it for that reason. What about you? Yeah, I liked it too. I um I I think there's some some uneven stuff and some you know, like I wish the way Garrick was intending to relate to Zial had been a little bit more, a little bolder in the mm-hmm. way it was presented. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it may, may have taken some of the drama out of it. This might have been the opportunity to kind of secure, you know, Garrick's legacy as a as a gay or 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 at least queer character. Mm. And it, and it, I think it's a um, that that is preserved in this episode. That his his. Uh, his coded queerness, but um, but it's not said explicitly, and uh, and I think that's too bad. But uh, but overall, I think it's a, a pretty interesting story and uh, a pretty good episode. Well, one area of our show that is fairly explicit are our priority one messages. What do you say we head over there and see what we've got? I'm into that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Stephanie, Eric, Oscar, and Neil, and it is for Andrew. That message goes like this. A shout out to our favorite captain, sending you all the love from your number one and the Ion Collective. We miss you. Do you think uh, Ion Collective is... Eric, Oscar, and Neil, like as a an acronym. I I do believe it is an acronym. I've had a lot to drink, Adam. Stephanie does not make the acronym; otherwise, it would be the Scion Collective, right? Stephanie is number one, clearly. I know. What does it mean? She's a lieutenant on his ship. Clearly. Adam, we have another priority one message here, and it is from Cumron Ingborgs. And it's too Daigle Beamsy. Hmm. Goes like this. You strong spaceman ride scooter, ladylike. Me, big Mr. Hom, kill merchant, no think before swing. 
You intro me, TGG, best thing. Me very happy, Adam and Ben. Racquetball in your court. Now, Beamsy, come drink me with Canar. Ben and Adam, come with Ingborgs and Beamsy, drink us Canar in VT. You will like. Ben and Adam, big fans, take word for it. Wow. I read that one along with you, and that was every word of it in... (laughs) In the correct order. It read like a drunk Priority One message. Yeah. Or it's just very deeply coded. I feel more inebriated having read it than I already did, which was very. Canar in Vermont sounds great, if that is indeed what Canar in VT means. Yeah. Love Vermont. Yeah, it's a nice state. Well, uh, if you have a Priority One message of the coded, normal, or commercial nature, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jobotron, where personal messages are $100, commercial messages are $200, and both of them go a long way in supporting the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I am going to give my drunk Shimoda to Quark, who in his scene with Garrick does not appear to know measurements. (laughs) He says his pants are a meter too long. I thought he was just using hyperbole in that moment. Oh, really? Oh, I took him literally. Yeah, you you might be right. I I thought he was just being like like a wise ass. ass. Yeah, I mean, maybe... Being a wise ass can get you drunk Shimoda, though. That kind of kneecaps my sh- the logic around my Shimoda. Now I don't know if that was correct, but there is no right or wrong in choosing a drunk Shimoda. Ben, what did you pick? I picked Cisco for keeping Eddington in a position of trust. Yeah, that was bad. I think if you are the commander of a space station, you probably have, have leave to remove somebody from your command if you don't trust them anymore. Yeah. And that that uh opening McLaughlin group reveals that Cisco is uh is still letting Eddington take highly controlled information from Starfleet and disseminating it to him and his staff. Yeah. Like I would never want to get information from Eddington about what we're doing. We saw this coming too. In that episode where he was double crossed the first time by Eddington. Cisco's like, hey, anyone wearing that uniform gets second chances from me. Yeah. I'm easy A Ben Cisco. <laughs> and it came back to bite him in the ass, just yeah. like we thought it would. It would have been great to to just have a scene where he goes like, you Cal Hudson'd me, Eddington. You really fucking Cal Hudson'd me. There's a little bit of that tinged in the scenes later, but Cisco is responsible for this fuck up. Yeah. That is a strong Shimoda, Ben. Gotta get that. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. 
And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, we need to find out what we're watching for the next episode and how we're going to watch it. For that, we consult the Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. We sure do. What are we watching, Ben? We are watching Season 4, Episode 22, To the Death. Attempting to stop a group of Jem'Hadar renegades from gaining power, Sisko and the Defiant crew must join forces with deadly Jem'Hadar soldiers. That sounds like fun. Enemy of my enemy. I can dig that. But we also have to find out how we are watching it, Adam. It's true. Uh, currently, we are on square 18, which is the Quark's Bar Square. Three squares ahead is a space butthole, and a few squares ahead of that is an explodey box. A banger. 
which would move the runabout five spaces back. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. And here I go. Uh, I have rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. That is a two. It gets us to square 20 right on the doorstep of that space butthole. Just the, just the rim of it, Ben. The, the most sensitive part. We could hit that Tamarian metaphor square again. I know. That, people were a big, big fan of that. Some people hated it. <laughs> yeah, I was joking. Like any any square we hit that isn't a regular square, we will get hate mail about. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, hey, let me just put this out there. Don't sue us in the court of Judge John Hodgman because you didn't like a square we hit. Well put, Ben. That is never going to make it to air. Like, that will never become a podcast episode. You wasted John Hodgman's time and you're wasting ours. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that's never a waste of time, Ben, is thanking the many people who make this show possible. Of course, that starts with you and me. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Adam. Couldn't do without you. This is always a highlight of my week. Yeah, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> uh, gotta thank some of the other people who make this show possible. We we use a lot of the work of Adam Ragusea. He is a person who has created the music for our Star Trek properties and otherwise, really. Yep. And uh, he often chops and screws the work of the great Dark Materia, the progenitor of our podcast music. We should thank Bill Tilly, who makes trading cards about every episode we do. And J.J. Lendl, who makes uh, a movie poster for every episode we're about to review. Uh, you can find all of that if you use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. Bill Tilly has also set up a Tumblr for the trading cards. I think it's BillTilly1973.tumblr.com. Did I have that right? That's uh, Yeah, that's, uh, that's correct as far as I know. It's the sexiest thing on Tumblr that isn't actual sex. <laughs> He's like currently going through and adding old old cards to to the Tumblr, which uh, you know he'll do slowly, but uh, the cards are great, and I love looking at them. The podcasts that Ben and I make uh, represent our full-time job, a job for which we need to derive a salary to continue. If you want to support our work, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Yeah, if this is a highlight of your week the way it is for us, if it makes your Monday commute a little bit easier, or if you just want to make sure that it uh, keeps going and has a future, you can really make a big difference in that by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate and uh, yeah. contributing. And even when it's not the Max Fun Drive, you get gifts for your support, uh, not least of which is all of the bonus content. We have tons and tons of bonus episodes up there for your listening pleasure you want to make tours happen maximumfund.org slash donate mm. how you can do it maybe even whispers of a tour just you can smell them yeah smell the whispers ben yeah is it gonna be star trek 3 who knows i think that's about it ben with that We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. There's a bit of an odd couple feel to it.
We're the ultimate Star Trek odd couple, right, Ben? Yeah, you and me. Yeah, you're the lemon and I'm the math owl, I think. I think that's got to be how it is. There's no other way to see it. Yeah. I could see myself being a, a lemon, though. I could see myself being a math owl in a lot of ways, you know? I think there are aspects to lemon and math owl in us both. I could see myself finding you've put a rotting fish in the back of my car. Yeah, that seems like something I would do. All right, we'll, uh, we'll adjudicate this on the next episode. Yeah. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.